0: All right, preschoolers, you guys are dismissed, and everyone else, I'd invite you to open up to Romans chapter five, that passage that Sarah just read for us, as we are uh, continuing in in Romans and. Um, as Joshua and I uh, and the other elders praying for uh, what we would be doing this Friday night and Easter Sunday, really in the providence of God, it just makes sense to keep preaching through Romans, as you'll, you'll see on Friday night. Uh, but we're going to cover the first five verses of Romans chapter 5 this morning. And so far in our, in our study of Paul's letter to the Romans, we've been talking a lot about the gift of justification. And by way of reminder, okay, to be justified before God means to be declared righteous before God. Or more simply put, to be declared right with God, right? To be right with God. And we've learned that this happens when we receive this gift of justification from God, and it only comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ not because of our good works, not because of the righteousness that we've stirred up in ourselves, but only through faith. And it's at that moment of our conversion that God graciously declares us to be right with him. Because Jesus has taken our sin and he took it up on the cross and he's given us his righteousness. It is a received righteousness or rightness with God that we have. And now this morning, Paul is going to show us that there is more to this gift of justification than meets the eye. He's going to show us that the gift of justification is truly a gift that keeps on giving. Have you guys ever had a gift like that? Have you ever opened up a gift and maybe on the inside of that gift you find another gift that is wrapped, right? And then you unwrap that one, and inside that is another gift. And then you unwrap that one, and inside that is another gift. And the more you start unwrapping, the more you're really just hoping that you're not going to be disappointed at the end for what's there, right? And you can trust me, church, you will not be disappointed as to what God has for us in the gift of justification, And so this morning, as we go through these first few verses in Romans chapter 5, we're simply going to unwrap one gift after another that God has given us to enjoy when he gave us the gift of justification. And these gifts do not disappoint. These gifts are so wonderful that when they are fully unwrapped and embraced, they should cause us to rejoice And they're going to cause us to rejoice in a couple of things here. They're going to cause us to rejoice in our hope of future glory. But get this, these gifts are so good that they should actually cause us to rejoice in our present suffering as well. And so this morning, we're going to cover these first five verses. And we'll just keep unwrapping gift after gift that God has given us. When he justified us through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and then we'll start the unwrapping here. Father, what a generous God that you are to us. Help us embrace and enjoy that this morning. Lord, as we unwrap what you have given us, may we be overwhelmed by your love for us that you have poured into our hearts. May we be refreshed as we drink from the streams that flow from your throne. May we be energized as your word becomes food for our souls. And may our hearts be knit together tighter with yours, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Romans 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So here we see the first gift that we unwrap that was inside of this gift box of justification is we unwrap this wonderful present of having peace with God, Having peace with God. Now, what Paul is getting at here is not necessarily the feeling of the peace of God, right? That, that's not primarily what he's teaching us. Yes, that, that feeling of peace and the peace of God will come, but it comes as we fully embrace and enjoy the peace with God that we already have. You see, he's talking about this objective reality of having peace with God. God. You see, I don't know if you remember this, but before you were justified, you were at war with God. Now you might say, hey, that seems a little strong. Uh, I don't know about me. I don't know if I was at war with God. Yes, I was kind of maybe doing my own thing, had some sin that maybe needed to be forgiven and all that, but I wasn't that bad. I wasn't at war with God. But we will see in just a few verses, which we'll preach on Easter morning, that Paul's going to say, before we were justified, we were enemies with God. Right? So Romans 5, you can look just a few verses ahead there in verse 10. He says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. That'll be our text for next Sunday. But you see, what he's teaching us here is that before we were justified, we were enemies with God. Well, still, maybe we're thinking, okay, how can this be so? Well, you see, when two people claim the same thing, there inevitably is war. All right, go back to the nursery right now. Two little kids claim the same toy. There's at least a little war that will break out. On a bigger scale, think when two national governments claim the same land. What do we have? We have war. And so if you are not following Jesus this morning, or if you can think back to before you were following Jesus, you were essentially claiming authority over yourself and over the world around you. You had claimed kingship and lordship over your little universe. But in reality, God is the rightful king over the world and everything that is in it. And so before we surrendered our lives to God, we were at war with him, whether we realized it or not. But since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. Peace with God. And get this, this, this gift of peace that God gives is even better than the peace that we sometimes experience in the world because this isn't just a temporary peace, right? That's, that's the peace we know of, right? When, when peace treaties are made or, or peace is, is happening in a relationship, it, it's really temporary peace until the other person does something we don't like and then peace is over, right? But that's not the kind of peace that God gives us. This was actually one of Jesus' gifts that he gave to his disciples before he went back to heaven. In John 14, 27, we'll have this up on the screen. Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, the peace that we know of in this world, it's, it's typically temporary, fleeting peace until an act of aggression or something happens and then war breaks out again. But Jesus says, no, my peace I give to you. The peace that Jesus has perfectly and eternally known with the Father, that's the peace that he gives to us. For those of you that are in Christ, you now have eternal peace with God because Jesus has given you his peace. This means that God will never be at war with you again. Now that's important to remember and tuck away into our minds as we get to the gift of rejoicing and suffering, okay? We have peace with God. The afflictions and the tribulations we experience now are not God making war with us. We have peace with God. We no longer have to fight Him. We no longer have to fight His people. We who were enemies, God has made peace with us by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so are you embracing and enjoying this gift that Jesus has given you? He's given you peace with God. And it's through embracing this truth that we can start to experience and feel the peace of God, right? As ones who have known peace with God. It's also through embracing the peace that we have with God that can empower us to start loving our enemies and making peace with them as well. Church, if God has made peace with us, who are we to not make peace with others? You were an enemy of God's and yet he came and died for you so that you might have peace with him. I wonder what the Lord might be calling some of us to die to and lay down in order to pursue peace with one another. What a comfort it is to know that those who have been justified by faith in Christ right now, we have peace with God. Peace with God. A great gift that has been given to those who have been justified by faith. Well, let's look back in verse 2. Let's look back in this box of justification. Let's see what else we have in there. In verse 2, we see that we have access into God's presence. Right? We have access back into God's presence. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed God's presence. right? They walked with him. They enjoyed having access to him. But then when sin entered into the world, and ever since, access to God has been restricted. For sinful humanity can't be in the presence of a holy God and survive without some sort of covering, right? But God, since the beginning, had made a way... For sinful humanity to once again enjoy access back into living in his presence of grace. And we saw this as you read through the Old Testament, right? You see this play out with the tabernacle and eventually the temple in the Old Testament. There was a way to come into the presence of God, but it was very restricted. It was very specific. It was through certain sacrifices and blood and purification that someone then could enter into the presence of God. And even then, really only the high priest, only one man, one time a year on the Day of Atonement, could enter into the Holy of Holies. But church, you see, all those sacrifices and purifications and all that work to get humanity back into the presence of God has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ the curtain that separated the holy of holies, God's presence from humanity, when Jesus Christ died, it was torn in two. And through the blood of Christ, we can once again enter back into the presence of God and enjoy standing and living in the realm of grace. What a gift this is, church. We don't just enter one day a year into God's presence. We have access to live in his presence, to sleep and to eat and to work and to play in his grace. We do not just have an occasional appointment with the king. By grace through faith, we get to live in his presence. And so should this not squelch any feelings of Loneliness, or being an outcast, or thinking that we are unacceptable before God, that we are unworthy to take up His time. Look at what God has given you. In Christ, you have access to God that the high priest in the past could have only dreamed about. What comes with this gift of justification is an invitation to enjoy full access into God's presence. You see, the gift of justification is not just kind of a, a, a one and done thing and then we're gone. No, inside this gift of justification, yes, we are declared right at our conversion, but now we have this gift of being able to enjoy access into God's presence every day. Now, I cannot, I cannot make you enjoy the access that you have, I cannot force you to see how great this grace is upon which you stand upon. But I can remind you this morning that through Christ, you also have obtained access back into the presence of God. And those who have been justified have access into God's presence. So my question for you is, are you fully enjoying this? Do you fully appreciate all that Christ has done for you? To even make a worship gathering like this possible? Are you taking him up on his invitation to live in his presence every day? To pray without ceasing, to enjoy him all throughout the week? He's given you access, church. A great gift that is contained in this gift of justification. Well, what what else do we have in this box, this gift box of justification? Look back in verse 2. We see we also have the gift of rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. Now, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about wishful thinking, which is usually how we use the English word hope, right? It's wishful thinking, like, I hope he preaches a short sermon today or I hope I can find a parking spot at church, right? Like, those two things are not likely to happen for you. That's wishful thinking, right? But biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is a confident expectation you have. All right. Biblical hope is a confident expectation you have because the reason you are confident about it is because what you are hoping for rests upon God's Word, which has never and will never fail. And the gift for those who are justified is that we get to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now that word rejoice... It means to boast, to boast with a sense of jubilation. There's not much in life that is right to boast about, but boasting about God is a good thing. To rejoice means to boast with a sense of jubilation. You see, this is what we joyfully boast in. We joyfully boast in that we have a hope, a confident expectation of future glory. Now, yes, back in Romans 3, what did we learn about glory? We learned that because of sin, we continually fall short of the glory of God. But now, because of being declared right with God, we can now rejoice in our confident expectation that we who fall short of glory will one day share in God's glory. Later in Romans, we're going to see Romans 8 21, Romans 8, 21, he's going to say that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Church, we have a glorious future. And this is our hope. This is our confident expectation that we can rejoice in, that Christ is currently making all things new and that he will return in glory and we will reign with him. You can rejoice about your future. The glory days for the Christian are not in their past. They are in their future. And it is your future hope that can bring you present joy. It is your future hope that can bring a present joy. And, and we know this to be the case. Like, we know this is just how life works, right? I mean, think about any time that you schedule a vacation a few months ahead, right? Think about a date night that you put on the calendar. Think about a trip or just something fun that is on your calendar that is upcoming. Like, when you schedule that in three months, nothing like currently today has changed, right? Except now you have a hope, you have some degree of confident expectation that something glorious and wonderful is coming in your future. And it fills you with joy, right? Even just seeing the weekend, seeing the day off, seeing the thing that is coming gives you present joy today. Church, those who have been justified, they don't know the day or the hour, but they know that future glory is coming. And therefore, their hope for the future brings them a present joy. We can rejoice in this today, because it does not rest upon our works, but it rests upon the grace of God. Now listen, the the world wants to offer you a bunch of false hopes for the future. Right? It's great about giving you false hopes for the future. In fact, I read about how during a World War II, above the entryway to one of the concentration camps was a sign that read, Work makes free. Work makes free. It was a false hope given to the people that their hard work would liberate them and set them free. But it was a lie. In fact, it's a satanic lie. And it's a lie that is still believed by many church-going, moral, religious people. My work will make me free. My work will secure a glorious future for myself my good works my knowledge my faith my decision my parenting my dedication will provide the glorious future i want and that is a false hope church every false religion hopes for that a christian does not hope that their work will make them free a Christian believes that Christ's work has already made them free and that he will one day return to liberate creation from its bondage to sin and death, that God has given them this glorious and gracious gift that they have been justified with God, they have been declared right with him. And it's a gift that changes everything. It changes our past, it changes our present, and it changes our future. We see this all here in the first couple verses of Romans 5. A peace treaty has now been signed, and we have peace with God. That's in our past. In our present, we enjoy unlimited access into the presence of God, standing upon His grace. And we have a future hope that one day we will see Him for who He truly is, and we will live forever with Him in the new heavens and new earth. This is not wishful thinking. This is a confident expectation we have, and we can rejoice in this hope we have today. Amen? Amen. Amen. But so far, that's, in this passage, that's that's really the understandable and easy part of this passage, right? I mean, rejoicing in our future hope, that kind of makes sense to us. We can get our minds around that. But what about rejoicing in our sufferings? I mean, how is that possible? But you see the gift of justification, it changes things. It changes how we relate to God. We now have peace with him. We have access into his presence. We have a future hope of life with him. But here's where we need to see that when how we relate to God changes, how we relate to everything else changes as well. And so as we looked in the gift of justification, this box, right? We are now going to pull out a new relationship and understanding that we can have with suffering. Look back at Romans 5 now in verse 3. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, church, when we are justified by faith, we don't merely just have to tolerate or accept our sufferings. We don't just have to come to grips with our present suffering. We don't have to excuse or try to escape from our sufferings. We don't have to self-medicate to try to numb our sufferings. No, God tells us that we can now rejoice in our sufferings. Think about that. And remember, that word rejoice, it means to boast with a sense of jubilation in our sufferings. Now, this sounds crazy, but our brothers and sisters who have gone before us and they have received the gift of justification, they have experienced this firsthand. And so, listen to a couple of these quotes. This first one is by Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator. He once wrote this He said, Extraordinary afflictions are not always the punishment of extraordinary sins, but sometimes the trial of extraordinary graces. Sanctified afflictions are spiritual promotions. Another one here by Richard Sibbs, back in the 1600s, wrote something very timely for the time of year it is. He says, The winter prepares the earth for spring, so do afflictions sanctified prepare the soul for glory. Now for the one who is still an enemy of God, when suffering comes their way, it can often make them angrier. can often make them more bitter with God. More of an enemy with God. More of wanting to fight God. But when suffering comes to the believer to the one who has been justified, who has peace with God, who is enjoying full access into God's presence, who has a hope for future glory. Suffering when it comes to that person can actually serve to sanctify them and prepare them more fully for what God is working in them and for them. And this is what Paul is showing us here, that we can rejoice in our sufferings because for those who have peace with God, Suffering can serve to produce some really good things in us and can prepare us for what he has for us in the future. And so this is why he says here that we rejoice in our sufferings. Notice that he doesn't say we rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. Notice he doesn't say we rejoice in spite of our sufferings. No, he's showing us just how great this gift of justification is. He says we can rejoice in our sufferings. Like not we're suffering, but then we're going to rejoice in kind of the, the butterflies and rainbows and unicorns that are happening over here. I mean, we should be rejoicing in those things. But he says we can actually rejoice in our sufferings to boast in jubilation of our suffering. Now, let's understand this a little bit more. This word suffering, it means afflictions. It means tribulation. It means burdens. It's getting at the idea of someone who is being hard-pressed. There's a pressure or a squeezing on someone. That's a suffering that he's referring to here. And I think we've all experienced this at some time or another in our life. Right, You felt the, the pressure of life. You felt like you're being squeezed, you're being burdened, you're being afflicted. Now some of us have experienced this to much greater degrees than others, but all of us, some, some less, some more, we have experienced this pressure, this suffering, this affliction. But Paul's reminding us, he's saying, hey, this is not God making war against you. Those of you whose faith is in Christ, he's not crushing you when you feel squeezed and pressured by life. He's not punishing you. Christ took your punishment. Christ took your punishment. You can now approach and understand suffering like that your approach to it, how you understand it, it changes now that you are in Christ, right? God is not punishing you. He is preparing you for your glorious future both in this life and the life to come. And so when you feel the pressures of life, for those of you who are trusting in Christ, know that God is not punishing you. He's preparing you. He's producing in you something glorious and great. I mean, do you believe this? Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. But look, He's going to, He's going to unwrap this gift a little bit more and show us what he is producing in us through suffering. Look at what he says. He says, suffering produces endurance. That word, the meaning of this word, endurance, is really getting at the idea of a patient perseverance. It's used, uh, a word that's used to describe someone who keeps focused on the prize. Someone who does not swerve to the left or the right, but patiently perseveres and endures till the end. There's a story told of a young man in a prayer gathering. He asks uh, for prayer for more patience. And so they start praying, and an older man starts praying. He says, Lord, send this young man some tribulations and suffering. And the young man's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 that's not what I asked for. And the older man, he said, but you see, it is through suffering that God produces a patient perseverance in us. It's through the pressure and afflictions and the burdens that we endure that he develops in us endurance. And there's been a lot of talk recently over the last few years about the mass exodus of young adults from the church. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that, uh, but I would maybe like to suggest one reason to you this morning. Could it be, in our well-meaning attempt to shelter our kids from the suffering, pressure, persecution, and evil in our world, Could it be by us attempting to take every pressure and affliction that would come towards them that we have also taken away the means by which God produces in us patient perseverance and endurance? Now, certainly there is wisdom in protecting children at certain ages and sheltering them from certain things at certain ages, but the end goal of parenting should not be to teach our kids how to shelter themselves from the world. Instead, our end goal is to help them know how to patiently persevere by faith in this world. And so I don't want to teach the future man in the front how to escape from the world. I want to teach them how to engage with the world, how the gospel is going to transform the world. I want them while they're in my house to feel some of the pressure and weight of sin that exists in the world and exists in their hearts. I want them to learn how to confess it and turn from it and trust in Christ's forgiveness. I want them while they're in my house to feel what it's like to be ostracized because of their faith to put them in situations where their faith has to be tested, to be the kid at the party who has to have the courage and wisdom to walk away and turn their eyes from what everyone else is watching. I want them, while they're in my home, to experience the realities of sickness and death of toilsome work, of thistles and thorns, of financial pressures and realities, to be able to live in and persevere in the world that is full of great evil and full of great good. I want them to be tough enough to handle the pressures of life, but tender enough to love God and people through it. And parents, if we want our children to finish the marathon of faith, we must teach them how to run. Piggyback rides are only cute up to a certain age. We must at some point teach them how to run for themselves. We must must allow them to trip and fall and learn how to get back up after they've fallen. We must teach them how to lean on the church when they sprain their ankle. And we must teach them the joy of fixing their eyes on Jesus, even when it hurts and is uncomfortable. R.C. Sproul, he once uh, wrote this. We'll have this up on the screen. He wrote, Tribulation puts muscle on our souls. Now, we can just admit, as the American church, we've had pretty scrawny souls. Our brothers and sisters in other countries have a lot more muscle and endurance, probably, than we do. But you see, through suffering, we can rejoice in our suffering, knowing that God is producing in us endurance, He's putting muscle on our souls. Suffering produces endurance. Well, what does endurance produce? He tells us endurance produces character. The meaning of this word character is getting at the idea of a tested and proven character. The original word comes from a group of words that was used mainly with the refining of metals, right, uh, describing the dross being burned away. Paul is saying that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character because it is through patiently enduring suffering that someone's character is purified and proven. And so we shouldn't always try to quickly escape or numb our suffering because it is in, that, in the midst of that that we are being purified and proven. And then, what does character produce? Character produces hope. Back again to that confident expectation. And it's a hope that will not put us to shame, meaning that it is a hope that will not disappoint us in the end a hope that knows that even though I'm patiently enduring suffering right now, I know I have peace with God, I know I have access to the presence of God, and I know I still have a glorious future. I know that God is not punishing me with this pressure I'm feeling, but instead he's preparing me for future glory, and he's producing in me some wonderful things. You see, so in Christ... We are not disappointed or put to shame. In Christ, even our suffering doesn't disappoint us. We won't be disappointed by it in the end. God will not allow it to go to waste. He will prepare us for the future through that suffering, and he will produce in us and for us wonderful things. And look then at this last gift of justification that we see this morning here in Romans 5. Look at what has been poured into us. This last gift will unwrap It, it, envision it looking like kind of a pitcher of water. And he tells us that we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who pours God's love into our hearts couple of things we can learn about the Holy Spirit here. First is that at the moment of our conversion, when we are justified, right, we are also given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? We see it right here. God's love has been poured. He's been given the Holy Spirit. God does not wait to give us the Holy Spirit to a later time, even if maybe some gifts of the Spirit don't come to a later time. Those who are justified are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look what God pours into us through the Holy Spirit. He pours his love. This word pours is, is getting at the idea of love being abundantly poured into our hearts as opposed to just being dripped or sprinkled in. I was reminded of this uh, this morning. Uh, Brit's in the nursery so we can talk about her. Um, <laughs> but she has a, a, I think an essential oil or a vitamin supplement, and maybe it's like vitamin D or something, but she, she holds it over her mouth and really has to like hit it, you know, to get little drips and drops that will come into her mouth, right? Just, you know, little, little drips at a time. That's sometimes how we think about God's love for us, right? Like just, can we just get a, li- a little bit, Lord, a little bit, a little, little drip at a time? But that's not what he's telling us, how God gives us his love. He's saying he pours his love abundantly into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See how great God's love for you is, church. He has poured his love for you into your hearts so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you might come to know and enjoy the love of God, God's love for you. And if you want to see a display of the love of God for you, come back Friday night. But oh, this is a great abundant love that he pours into our hearts, church. The heart of a believer is controlled and captivated by the love of God. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to assure you of God's love for you. And it is this pouring out of God's love into your hearts that fuels this whole process we've seen of Him producing things in our heart. It's the love of God that is the fuel, right? It fuels and empowers us to be able to rejoice in our sufferings as opposed to becoming embittered in our sufferings. God's love is what fuels and empowers suffering to produce endurance as opposed to us falling away. God's love is what fuels and empowers endurance to purify and prove our character instead of corrupting or destroying our character. God's love is what fuels and empowers our purified and proven character then to produce in us a hope for the future, knowing that God will not disappoint us. What a glorious, what a gracious gift it is to be fueled by the love of God that is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It fuels us and empowers us to rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings. There's a town in Alabama called Enterprise, and it knows what it's like to rejoice in their sufferings. We'll have a picture up here of a statue. Here's a statue in the middle of their town of a woman holding up, rejoicing, boasting, exulting in the bull weevil. (laughs) You see, the bull weevil is a small beetle that in 1909 arrived in Alabama, and it started destroying cotton fields, which was the main source of income. For the town of Enterprise Farmers all across the South Started to try different pesticides And different techniques to get rid of the weevil But nothing worked Within a few years, farmers had lost everything Almost all their fields were gone Along with it, their income and their livelihood A lot of towns in the South Still tried year after year to grow cotton With no success and only more poverty Enterprise however decided to say hey you know what let's see let's not see this as a death sentence for our town maybe something better can be produced here right they saw their suffering not as something that was going to crush them but maybe was preparing them for something better in the future right maybe something even greater could be produced in the midst of their suffering and so you know what they did started planting peanuts And they did so well with peanuts that they became the leading producer of peanuts across the entire country. The rest of the area caught on. The town right next to them now is known as the peanut capital of the world. Not only did they save the town and the families in the town, but they they became more prosperous than they ever could have imagined. And it was this plague of bull weevils and the suffering that they produced that turned them from cotton to the unimaginable prosperity and future of peanuts. And there's a sign that reads close by to the, uh, the statue. I would suggest they should have given thanks to God, but instead they, they made a monument that said, in profound appreciation of the boll weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity, this monument was erected by the citizens of Enterprise. Church, whatever present suffering or pressure or burden or affliction that you are experiencing right now, your justification with God has changed how you should understand it and approach it. If you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God, you have access into His presence, and you have hope of future glory. And God's love now fuels your heart to be able to hold up your present suffering, sort of like that statue was, and say, God is not destroying me with this. God will use this suffering in my life and he will not disappoint me. He's preparing me, he's purifying me, and he's producing in me something better than I could have ever imagined. And so may we rejoice in future glory and our present sufferings for we serve a God who will not disappoint us, church. Let's pray.